What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you in advance for listening to this fantastic interview that I'm about to share uh, with my man, Sam Tielemans. So uh, I just I have to brag on this guy just for a minute. When I was launching my book, I got a DM on Instagram from Sam, and he was like, hey, man, I see what you're doing. Looks amazing. Congrats on the launch of your book. Um, I would love to have you on my podcast if you're interested, and I'd honestly just love to know if there's anything I can do to help or support you. I'm in the same space. I love helping other guys. And I was like, man, that is like, that is the dream message that you could get from a colleague of yours who is in this space. And um, it just speaks volumes about, you know, his character and his humility and his passion for the subject. You know, I think if he was competitive, um, you wouldn't send a message like that, you know? So it was really cool. So I did an interview on his podcast and it's funny, I didn't initially think to have him back. I don't know why, actually. I was probably just really busy with my book. But since then, I've interviewed on a couple other podcasts, and his name has come up, and they're like, oh my gosh. The one guy actually was like, oh my gosh, Sam, his interview, that was the best interview we've probably ever had on the podcast. It was so good. You know, they've just raved about this guy. And um, every time I was like, yeah, wait, yeah, he's amazing. Why didn't I get him on my podcast? You know, so anyways, I reached out. I was like, bro. Let's let's make this happen, and uh, and here we are. So, um, Sam has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and he's you know he's really well trained. And so there are a couple of different directions we could have gone in, but what I wanted to talk about with him specifically was really about restoring a relationship after pornography has you know surfaced. So once it's become clear that the guy's struggling or the girl's struggling, what does it look like to actually mend the relationship? In a previous episode, we talked a little bit about like kind of the process of disclosure and healing and what it looks like when you kind of make it to the other side and the relationship's healthy and, you know, continual development. We sort of went through the whole timeline. And today what we're doing is we're focusing on the specific part of healing, like when the husband needs to heal and the wife needs to heal. What does that look like for them to do it separately? How do they do it together? How does the husband rebuild trust? Because often... You know, the guy gets free of porn, he starts doing way better, and the wife is like, that's great, but I still don't trust you, and the guy's like, what the heck, like, I thought porn was the problem, I fixed it, we should be good to go, and so today we just kind of delve into all of this and just talk about the different layers that come with this, why it's not always as simple as that, and what guys can do uh, really early on in the recovery process, not just to get free of porn, but also to mend their broken relationships so that when they're free, the relationships are healthy as well and they can just kind of move forward full steam ahead. So that's what we're talking about today. I know you're going to be blessed by this. Uh, real quickly, let me just read Sam's bio so you have a bit of an idea of what you're about to get into. Sam Tielemans is a licensed marriage and family therapist that specializes in helping couples overcome the effect of pornography addiction in their relationship. He has a private practice in Las Vegas, and after working with couples for over a decade, he has developed an approach to help couples restore their marriage, rebuild trust, and improve their sexual intimacy after betrayal. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sam Tielemans. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within.
Great. All right. Well, I'm here with Sam Tielemans, a new friend of mine here in this space. And um, man, I have really enjoyed getting to know you. You've helped me so much already, bro. And I got to interview on your podcast when I released the book. And you meet a lot of people in this space, obviously. And, you know, some people you get to interview and you learn from them and it's awesome. But it's been fun for me. I, I feel like um, you have just skills and wisdom and all kinds of things to offer that um, that I've been able to glean from. And so I've really enjoyed getting to know you. And to have you on the podcast here today is a real treat for me, man. So thanks for being here. Likewise, it's been awesome to have you on my podcast and learn from you as well. It's like it's a pleasure to see the work that you're doing. It's it's such a needed thing to help guys with this. And so uh, I, I just want to help in any way that I can today as well. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I think as a starting point, it would be cool to hear a little bit about why you're so passionate about helping people in this space. Your training is pretty broad reaching and you know, you've know you done, you know different modalities and stuff across the board. Why specifically are you interested in helping guys with porn addiction? Yeah, so it's a good question. So I personally actually never struggled with this. Of course, as a kid, you're exposed to it and you're curious and uh, I live in Las Vegas. So it's like literally everywhere. Like you wow. can't not see it, you know? No kidding. So uh, yeah, so I, I went to school here. Um, all my family's here. And so when I went to college, I stayed in Vegas. I went to UNLV. And when I was in grad school training to become a therapist, I had a friend who started to open up and share with me his struggle. And he said that he had like done literally everything under the sun that he could think of. Hmm. And he was still struggling. And it had been like 15 years. He started uh, he started his addiction. Like it, it developed into an addiction, but his first exposure was like age nine. Wow. Then like up through his 20s. And so as he was telling me about his story, I remember very clearly this thought came to my mind that I should learn how to treat this type of addiction because I'm sure I'm going to see it a lot in the church. That was like the phrase that came to my mind. Huh. So I'm a religious person. I'm Christian. And I thought like, okay, like I'll go down this road. And he almost, he like, he became like a mentor to me because he had done so much work. Like he knew more than my professors did because huh. like he niched down so far into trying to figure out how to overcome this, not only for his clients, but like a part of the reason why he became a therapist was to help himself. Right. And so over the, you know, the course of time that we spent in school, I started learning more and more about this. And like, I just became very interested in helping people break free from this because while yes, people come in and they say, I'm struggling with pornography addiction or sex addiction or, you know, whatever it is, the roots of it, like that's what we're working with. And so yeah. I became really interested in helping people like release the shame and process through these negative beliefs that they have and just change this, like the reason why they're coping and help them with whatever it was that they're, you know, they're struggling with that turning to porn as a way to cope. And so I just became fascinated in like seeing people change is like such a rewarding, cool. And I know that, you know, this as well. It's like such a cool thing yes. to see when people actually break free. And then I really niched down into the relationship side of it because there's so many people who struggle who can then, you know, they can get free on, on their own, like in and of themselves, but their marriage still like is in shambles and the wife is still feeling betrayed. And husband might say like, what, like, why are you still like upset about this? I'm not acting out anymore. I'm free from this. Like, why can't we move forward? And she can't because mm. she doesn't automatically get better when he does. And so mm. I just became really interested in the relationship part to help people bridge that gap, you know, as they're finding freedom themselves or after they found that freedom. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, man. Amazing story. And you carry a real authority about you for someone who hasn't had the issue himself. It's quite impressive. And to think that you grew up in in uh, in Las Vegas of all places too, man. Kudos to you. That's uh, yeah, that's <laughs> seriously impressive. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what you just mentioned. So you have this guy who is addicted to porn, 
it's affecting his marriage or maybe he's not even married, but it's affecting his romantic relationship. So he gets the help he needs, gets clean, eliminates porn. And as you said, the wife is still not happy. I think, again, this is where the, the left brain experience of porn addiction can be so misleading because logically the addiction's gone and that was causing all the issues. So why why is this still a problem? Can you maybe right. just delve into that a little bit more? What is going on on the, the female side of this? And why would a wife still be unhappy when her formerly addicted husband has now found freedom? So it's, it's such a good question. So important. So there's a... The way that I like to think about this is that the, the, there is one training that completely changed my whole career. And this training was about how to help couples, you know, work through their challenges. It wasn't addiction related, but it very much applies. And they said at the core of every relationship is the need and the desire to connect with them and to feel this like bond. They call it attachment. It's like attachment theory is the like technical phrase. Yeah. In other words, what they basically say is that Romantic relationships, any relationship really is built on a foundation of emotional connection. And when we get disconnected from our partner, we feel lonely, we feel scared that we're going to lose them, we feel sad, we feel hurt, we feel unloved, unaccepted, like all these really painful experiences that we go through are a result of getting disconnected from our spouse or our partner. Hmm. And so when pornography is uh, has affected the relationship, it undermines that connection that should be there in a very personal way this more than any other addiction i think if somebody struggles with alcohol addiction it's like you know the, the wife doesn't it doesn't feel so personal for her but with pornography addiction it's like strikes at the heart of like her feelings of self-worth her feelings of like am i not enough for him if he's turning elsewhere right that's that breakdown in attachment or connection when he takes that sexual energy somewhere else. And again, sometimes in the beginning, people say like, oh, well, you know, they're talking to their wife. Well, it's only like these videos or pictures. I'm not actually talking to anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything outside of the relationship that I shouldn't. For the wife, it feels like infidelity for many, many women because yeah. the attention, the energy goes somewhere else. Therefore, that connection that she wants to have with him becomes disconnected which now she's feeling scared. She's feeling like she's not enough. She's feeling like a sense of betrayal because that in a romantic relationship for most people is, is meant and designed to stay within the relationship. Hmm. So it just causes so much pain and turmoil for her because it undermines that connection, that safety, that trust that she has in him. Once that's all broken, it's like, I've used this analogy before. <clears throat> if you, if you throw a vase on the ground or a glass, like a plate, stomp on the glass plate of the vase when you stop stomping on it it doesn't become whole again like there's another element of attention that's needed to start to heal and repair what's been broken right. so it's important that he gets freedom that he's not struggling with this anymore but now he has to give the relationship and her the attention that's necessary for her to start to heal and rebuild trust again okay that's really good really helpful great analogy as well i think um, something we can all relate to Let's get really granular and just define what connection is and maybe on the male side and the female side, like, because I think, I think it's one of those words now that is used so frequently. We all yep. know, like whether it's a spiritual context or a addiction recovery context or whatever, um, people are always talking about connectivity and connection and everything else in a marriage context. I mean, are we talking about just like sexual connection and physical intimacy? 
um, or what, what exactly are we encompassing when we use the word connection? So I think that's a part of it. I think at the core, at the heart of being connected, because I agree, I think that word is like, you're starting to hear that more and more. I wish there was a better way for me to describe it. So I'll maybe have to define a little more, but I think it's a sense of feeling close. It's a sense of feeling safe. Hmm. It's a sense of feeling on the same page and in sync with and, and uh, like united together. So when you're hmm. emotionally feeling those things, and we all know what that's like to have it, yeah. And we also know what it's like to not have that, right? There's like a like a, a void or an emptiness when we don't feel close to the person that we love the most. And so I, I think those are the ways that I would describe it. It's an emotional sense of being close and and uh, like, again, it's hard to, I'm about to use the same word. It's like connection. I know <laughs> we're trying to define the word, but it's a closeness. It's a bond. It's that yeah. relationship. It's being like in sync with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the word you used earlier too, attachment. I think attachment and attachment theory plays a huge part in this and in people's healing in general. So, okay, you have this couple and it, it, it sounds like what you're saying, Sam, is the person getting free of porn it has essentially eliminated the obstacle or the, the factor that was destroying the connection or, or uh -huh. preventing connection from taking place. So you've removed the obstacle, but then there is work to be done to actually still repair what was broken. Where does that process begin? And, and you and I were talking earlier, we have a, a mutual friend, Jeff Stewart, who, who came on here and shared a bit of the framework of kind of just the, the overall process of, you know, the guy getting his healing, the woman getting hers, and um, the disclosure that can maybe instigate the process and talking a little bit about what this all looks like when it goes well and, and how a marriage can heal. But I guess um, maybe to get just a bit more specific now on, yeah, let's let's say a couple is working through this and uh, the guy has gotten clean of porn or he's getting free of porn. Um, what are some of the other elements that need to happen for that marriage to properly heal and recover as well? So that's a great question. And I think one of the most important parts of the recovery process for the relationship, the healing process is going back to what we just touched on is it really is re it's, it's rekindling and creating that sense of safety and connection in the relationship. Hmm. So what that might look like in a marriage. So let's say the wife doesn't trust the husband, you know, as a quick sidebar, I'll often hear women say that while the porn is, it affects them so deeply, the thing that hurts them even more, is the lies and the deception mm. that goes with the pornography. Right. And so she'll say, if he's struggling and he comes and tells me, I can work with that. But if he's struggling and he doesn't tell me, and then when I ask him about it, he lies, I can't work with the dishonesty. Like that, I think so often the guys are afraid, well, if I tell my wife, she's gonna leave me because she won't put up with this. Mm. Wow, that's a real fear that they have. It's so uncommon that the wife leaves just be well, in the word I use the quotes when I say just like uh, just because of the pornography. It's so yeah. uncommon in all the people that I work with. The real reason why people leave is because they don't have that closeness. They don't have that trust. They don't have the openness that's there. Yeah. So in order for the relationship to heal, you have to address those pieces to it. And if the wife doesn't trust, even if he says, okay, I'm clean, I don't, I'm not acting out anymore, I'm not being tempted anymore, or whatever he tells her, she's not going to believe him anyways, <laughs> because there's been so much deception that goes with that. So he could say, like, I haven't acted out in four months, like, why are we still talking about this? Yeah. She has no way to know, she can't gauge that because he's probably said that in the past. 
And even if he's telling the truth now, again, she doesn't know the difference. So in order to heal the relationship, you have to restore the trust. In order to restore the trust, you have to create a sense of safety and connection again. And there's a couple of thoughts that I, I guess we can kind of go further with this. Yeah. Like so often when couples get disconnected and there's that distance, it's because they get into these negative cycles where husband will shut down and avoid and the wife, I, I guess this is like a, such a common cycle that I see. The wife might bring up a concern or a fear or talk about how she's been hurt or you know, a memory might surface. So she kind of starts to feel bad again and she'll go and tell her husband and the husband will just kind of freeze because he goes into his shame. He feels terrible that she's hurting. He doesn't want to keep talking about it because it's uncomfortable. He knows how much she's hurt because when she's crying in front of him, he just feels so bad. And usually he feels bad about himself as well, that then he just avoids those conversations, right? So the more he pulls away, the more alone she feels. And the more alone she feels, again, the more disconnected they get so that it's like a, it triggers this fight or flight response where if, she, if she's feeling hurt and alone, usually it's like turns into fight. The anger comes out. Right. So she might accuse him. She might get critical. She might blame him. She might, you know, like there might be a lot of anger that's directed towards him because really she needs like him to be there. And I'll use the word again, connect, or in other words, comfort her and reassure her and create this sense of like, I'm here with you. You're not alone. I want to support you. She's looking for that. But if she approaches him in her anger, she usually gets, you know, him, he usually responds in distances or gets defensive or avoids because he doesn't want to feel the anger. He doesn't want to feel, you know, that he's failing her, that he's, he's made these terrible mistakes and he's a terrible person because of it. Like all of his own internal stuff comes up because she gets angry, right? And so one of the most important things is helping couples to interact in a different way where they can share on a deeper level instead of getting stuck in the anger and the defensiveness and the frustration and avoidance, right? Those cycles perpetuate that distance. Hmm. And so I think in terms of healing the relationship, it's helping people to come together differently so they can start to feel more safe and she can feel comforted and understood and have her pain validated. That's really good. So there's, I guess a huge part then is the guy, the guy being willing to have some of these more uncomfortable conversations, right? Like, and I guess it's uncomfortable on two levels, probably one is you're just confronting your mistakes, right? And realizing the pain it's caused. But the other yeah. element is sometimes just talking on a more emotional level can be quite intimidating for a guy, especially if they haven't grown up with it, if they haven't had comfortable or safe experiences doing so themselves, or maybe even been taught how to do it. It, if you were coaching a guy who maybe is like, okay, Sam, that sounds great in theory, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm terrified of my wife, you know, or I don't, I don't know how to have that conversation or I, I do you like, you got me, like I freeze, you know, when she starts crying and I see the pain I've caused, I, all I can do is really numb. What's like, what's the mental shift or is there something tactical and practical that, that they do to kind of break out of that funk? Like what, what is something people, somebody can do to actually change you know their patterns from the past so the number one thing that a husband can do a man can do in that situation i think first of all is understanding what she needs because if you don't know what to if you don't know what she needs you're not going to know what to do and so the thing that she needs most when she's hurting is to have her pain seen mm -hmm. and her pain feel like it matters to you and so if a husband 
which again, I work with like such great people and they absolutely care about their wives. They want so much for them to get better. But when she gets hurt and upset and cries, he doesn't know what to do. And oftentimes he doesn't want to make it worse. So he kind of dances around it, which is like unintentionally the lot, like that's the opposite of what you want to do. The more you can, the more you understand that again, really she's seeking your closeness and comfort and understanding. Again, that that's like this idea of connection. When you understand that that's what she needs in the moment, then all you have to do is speak directly to that. So for instance, what that might look like. So let's say she's sad. I'll, I'll, I'll even share with you a quick example. Sure. I remember working with somebody not too long ago where they were out, you know, they've been doing really good work for a couple of months together and they were shifting into this different place and they were having these good days. They were out golfing one day and having a great day. And the husband turns to his wife and says, man, this is just such a great day. And in the moment that he said that she like starts to cry and he's like, what just happened? Like, what did I just do? I thought we were having a great day. And I thought I just said, Hey, like, I'm really appreciating the time that we're having together. And then she starts to cry. He got so confused and didn't know what to do. And so when we talked about it in session the next day, she, the thing that got brought up for her was a sense of sadness that in the past they were also having good days but he was acting out on the side without her knowing. So right. him saying, we're having a great day just triggered this memory of like, but we also had great days before and you were doing that and I didn't know about it. And I just feel so hurt by it. Wow. So there's triggers everywhere. Right. And so husbands are like walking on eggshells, not knowing what to do because you know, they don't want to say something. They don't want to, they don't want to stir up the pain again because they care about their wife yeah. or girlfriend. Right. I guess I'm using wife for short for him. Yeah. And so in that moment, all he needed to do, and we ended up just doing it in session was all he, all she needed to hear was honey, you're right. I can see how, like you're validating her pain first. So what that might look like is honey, I can see why you'd be so hurt because in the past I was doing these things and it betrayed your trust and you felt like you were unimportant to me. Hmm. So I totally understand why there's still so much sadness there. So that's like a statement of validation. And then the next part of all you want to do is then just say, you kind of just like, you can recommit and say, but I want you to know that I want nothing more than for us to have more and more of these good days. And for you to know that you're my person, that I don't want to be engaged in these old behaviors anymore because I'm, I'm changing. I wasn't happy back then. I was escaping how bad I felt about myself. It wasn't because you weren't enough. Yeah. Like I was struggling and I'm learning new ways to deal with how I feel. And I want you to be a part of this. I want to let you in more because like, I, you're the most important thing to me. So essentially you're just, you're validating the pain yeah, and reassuring her that she does matter, reassuring her that she is important, reassuring her that she is enough. Like that's the framework that will work. Like that's what she needs to hear. And sometimes if she's in her hurt, she might reject it or say, well, if I was enough, then why did you do this? And if you want, we can talk about kind of how to, how to handle those things if it doesn't go so well. But that's essentially like if the husband can recognize that that's what she needs in those moments is for him to come close and validate and understand and be there with her in it. That's how you create those little moments of connection. And people like when people's pain is validated and seen, the anger reduces almost instantly. The pain feels uh, like... I'll work like sometimes I'll hear people talk about because I, I approach this in a very non-traditional way. Traditionally, you, they say you quote unquote shouldn't do any couples work for like two years. 
Okay. And I like, I could not disagree more because the relationship is such an important resource for both people. Yeah. And so they'll say, well, safety doesn't come in a relationship for a couple of years. You have to, you know, just you, you're each are working on your side of the street is what I hear people say. Right. But in, in that moment in session and in hundreds of sessions like that, in that moment, I always check with the wife when the husband says something like that. I always check with her. Hey, uh, whatever her name is, let's say it's like, Hey, you know, Hey, Karen, what, what comes up for you right now? What do you feel right now when he turns to you and says, I see that you're hurting. I want to be there for you. You're my person and I'm not going back. What do you feel right now? She's like, I feel safe. I feel seen. I feel like I matter to him. So in an, in, in a, in a single conversation, you can start to change the feeling in the relationship. You can start to create a sense of safety so early on because safety is a direct result of how connected people feel. And connection yeah. is a result of people feeling seen and their pain mattering and knowing that they're not alone in their struggle. So that's kind of a long example, I guess, but that's like, that's such a, a the framework of helping them feel like they're, that you're with them is the thing that pulls them through it. But usually again, it's the opposite. It's like husband pulls back. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up anymore. I don't want to say the wrong thing when really it's like, it's not about saying the right or wrong thing as much as you just being there with her in it is the thing that stabilizes all of that. Yeah, really helpful. And I want the people to hear that it's um, being connected when you're working through betrayal and whatever else. It doesn't mean that you're you're getting along perfectly. It doesn't mean that you're seeing eye to eye on everything and that it's always the positive emotions. I think that example is really helpful because actually what it demonstrates is that even amidst really difficult negative painful emotions you can still experience connection like that that moment of just being seen is what she's looking for she may not be like super smiley and happy all of a sudden but it's at least the start of her feeling like okay at least he gets it i'm understood and that that is that is connecting like it maybe isn't the yes. end goal but it is all part of re-establishing that connection in the relationship right 100 percent. and i think so often connection is forged in those moments of pain because if you're having good days, like that's great. But when we are, when we kind of tap into our own, our own insecurities, if you, you know, anybody who's listening can think about a moment where they felt like they're putting themselves out there yeah. and they taught, you know, they, they might be vulnerable and open up. And then depending on what happens on the other side of that determines like how, how you feel in that moment. So if I open up and I tell my wife, Hey honey, um, we haven't spent much time together or we haven't really been close or there hasn't been much affection. And I just, I'm starting to wonder, you know, if you find me attractive anymore, like that's a really vulnerable share, like for yeah. example. And if the wife turns says, honey, you're right. There hasn't been much affection lately. I've been so sidetracked, but I want you to know that I still am attracted to you. I love you to death. Um, like I've just been so busy with all this other stuff, but I want to make sure that you know that I, I do love you and I care about you in that moment, instantly, you'll feel connected, hmm. right? You'll feel like that's where that's forged is when you're vulnerable and then the other person catches you. Hmm. And there's other ways, of course, for that to happen, for connection to happen. But that's one of the, it's one of the most powerful ways that people can connect is through vulnerability and having yeah. the other person respond in a way that catches you emotionally. I love that. And I, I think maybe if somebody is listening and you're in that place where you're free of porn and still um, restoring the marriage, 
you know, when you get free of porn, you still have temptations, you still have vulnerable moments, and those can be great opportunities to let your wife in as well. I think to build the trust. Just I, I was just thinking about that because I know for my wife and I had a couple moments like that when we were dating, and I had been free just for a little bit, and a couple moments, a couple days, you know, where the temptations were really high, and I just decided I'm gonna confide in her. I'll let her know and share it with her, and she loved it. Like she just felt so safe. Um, it increased the trust in our relationship, and I I think what I feared the worst, which is that she'd be offended or hurt by it, like never happened because. I chose to be honest, right? And I think that helps a yes. lot. And I think that's great. Yeah. So there's two levels on which people can share. Because like, there's so many different things that we can talk about. Since you brought this up, I think this is such a good thing. Because so often guys will get tempted and they don't want to tell their spouse. Because the fear is that if they do, it's going to cause a problem. She's going to be suspicious. It's going to It's going to cause more fights. But the reality is that when we do share and we're transparent, again, that's more of building this closeness. It bridges the gap and it lets the other person in, which is the whole problem the whole time, right? They don't Mm. feel that in. Like that's why they're struggling, the wife. They don't feel included oftentimes in his recovery work. They don't feel included in how he feels day to day. They just, they're feeling like they're in the dark, which again, if you're understanding this from an attachment perspective, that's, that's the worst thing that could happen. They've done some research that talks about how physical pain and rejection are processed in the same part of the brain. So whether you step on a nail or whether your spouse feel, you feel super disconnected or rejected by your spouse, it's the same experience in the brain. And the reason why that is, is because we're social creatures. We're, we're designed, we're hardwired to be connected to other people. Hmm. And so <clears throat> the entire problem is that she feels so distant and disconnected and left out that that causes anxiety, that creates fear, that creates a lack of safety, which is why these cycles of like anger and frustration and you know, her shutting down and avoiding, like all of that is a result of not feeling close. And so going back to what you're saying, if a husband were to feel tempted, I think it's so counterintuitive, but by sharing the fact that something's going on is like already a good step in the right direction. Yeah. And the thing that I think that will, like there's two levels, like the one level is, hey, I'm feeling tempted today, I'm feeling triggered. The next level that I think really can bring couples together is if the husband were to share why he's feeling tempted. Mm. And if you were to talk about like, what is going on underneath the surface that's causing him to want to escape. So for instance, he might be feeling inadequate. He goes to work, boss comes down on him. He feels like he's a loser. And then like slowly, he's just like, ah, this sucks. Like, this is hard. I just feel awful. Like, this feels like I'm not good enough. And then the thought of like, well, you know, like if you turn to porn, you're not going to feel so bad, right? It's like, it's the, the, the coping mechanism that is the porn, but the reason why is the inadequacy. And so it's a good thing to say, Hey, I'm like, I'm struggling right now. It's even like, it's like a good, better, best, right? Good to say I'm struggling. Cause on some level you're talking best is say, I'm having a hard time and I'm feeling like I'm not good enough. And I feel like I'm failing at work and this is what happened. And this is how it impacted me. Then, because so often I'll hear uh, wives say like, okay, he tells me he's triggered, but I don't like, what do I do about that? How can I help him? And she'll say, hey, how can I help? And he'll say, I don't know, like, I, I, you can't, I'm just telling you. But if he were to say, I'm feeling like I'm a failure and I don't measure up, now she can comfort him. 
now she can support him and reassure him and say like, you're, you're, uh, you measure up in my eyes. I'm proud of you. I think you're great. I know your boss might come down on you, but I want you to know that you come home, you're safe here. Like you're my person here in that instant, right? Then his trigger starts to shift and he doesn't feel like he has to escape because he just got comfort, you know, in, uh, from a, a source that's not a counterfeit. It's, it's, he's seeking comfort in porn, but it doesn't actually, you know, it, it works very, very momentarily, but then there's that drop. But when he turns to her and says, I'm struggling and this is what's going on inside. Now he gets his needs met. And also she feels let in, which creates more safety, which creates more connection, which creates more trust, right? All of that is a positive cascade of having those types of conversations. So I just think like as many triggers as there are out there, there's that many opportunities to bridge that gap and reconnect just by turning to one another in, in those types of ways. Yeah. And the amazing thing about that is the, the focus of the conversation has nothing to do with porn at that point, right? Like it's, it's really exactly where it right. should be. It's focused on the more core internal aspects of this, which is really cool. That's exactly yeah. right. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit because I know you're trained in NLP. For people who don't know that, that's neuralistic pro- programming. Um, some of the fundamental concepts around NLP have been completely life-changing for me. And I'm not certified in it, but, uh, but really, I, I love that you are. And I, I had a couple questions um, sort of in the same vein. And I'm wondering sure. if maybe you can answer them from that angle. So I was thinking of the example you gave earlier, you know, of the guy who is golfing with his wife, says, I'm having such a great day. She breaks down crying. And I've worked with enough clients now to know that often where their their thoughts go is exactly what you said is, what did I do wrong? The the immediate mm-hmm. response is like, I must have messed up, even though it's not clear necessarily why. And I guess I'm wondering for, for the guy who, who has this storied past and he knows that the marriage would be a 10 out of 10 if it weren't for his addiction and you know whatever, whatever. I think it's so easy to get caught up in anytime there's something wrong, there's disconnection, it's just like, it's my fault because that's kind of been the pattern. And you know, obviously they made some major errors that of course have led to some difficulties in the marriage. So you can kind of understand where, it, where it's coming from, but I guess I'm wondering how does somebody hurdle that so that they're not constantly holding it against themselves and struggling to forgive themselves and you know whatever else may come with their story. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Because I think so many people do struggle with it, right? If their wife feels bad, and then they, they go into their shame of like, well, I caused this. And if she's hurting, and I caused this, then I'm a bad guy. Right. So I think in terms of helping people, whether it's in the relationship context or individually, I think it's so important to recognize, like one of the things that's so helpful for me is recognizing that decisions don't like what we decide, the decisions that we make aren't who we are as people. Hmm. So for me, separating those two things, like, uh, like Brene Brown is really big on this. She talks about the difference between guilt and shame. And so I like, I, this has been something that like changed my own personal life is cause I, I used to kind of, I used to carry this belief around of like, I'm a bad person. And like for years and years and years, I would just kind of feel bad. I'd feel kind of depressed and I wasn't sure what it was, but as soon as I read her book, when I was like 25 instantly, like, I was like, this is what I've been feeling the whole time, which is I made everything about me. I took everything personally. And so for the guys, it's very similar. If the wife is crying and she takes it personally, I'm sorry, if the wife is crying and he takes it personally and says, well, she's hurting because I did this and I'm a bad guy. It's so important to start to separate you as a person 
from your decisions and the actions that you've done because they're not the same thing. And once guys can start to get a handle on that and say like, I remember I was in a, I, I did this challenge one time and we were talking about these, these types of beliefs, right? And in the, in the group, one of the guys commented and said, my biggest limiting belief is that I feel like I'm a bad person, I'm a horrible person. And that got activated every time that his wife, they got into this fight and she'd bring up the past. So he'd just feel like he's a bad person. Mm. But then as we started to talk about separating yourself from the addiction, separating yourself from your decisions, he said that a light went on for him. And he said, if I was a horrible person, like I wouldn't be seeking change. I wouldn't be wanting to overcome this. And I think a good indicator that you're not a horrible person is if you do actually feel something and you feel bad. Because if you didn't feel bad, uh, let's go the other way. If you feel bad because of something that you've done, it's an indicator that that was out of alignment with how you see yourself and who you see yourself to be. Mm. Because if you didn't feel anything, then it's just like, you know, it's you're, you're acting in, you're acting congruently with your values. So you don't feel bad when you do that. If you do something outside of your values, then you there, that's where that disconnect is. That's where you feel bad. So I think starting for men to start to understand that decisions don't, that's not who you are, who you are is different. Our decisions are a result of the state that we're in and the tools that we have at that moment. Wow. Yeah. Good point. So if you're having a really bad day and if you don't know how to deal with your pain in a healthy way and addiction is what you've learned over time, like it's no surprise that you're going to go back to that, even though you consciously don't want to. So it isn't a lack of you trying or not wanting to as much as the state that you're in and not having different tools. Like those are really the bigger influence on our decisions. And so I guess to summarize that, yeah, it's like starting to separate that out. So when she's hurting, it's not because you're this bad guy. It's like, she's hurting another way that, okay, maybe I'll add one more thing to this. If the wife is hurting, it's often because she longs for his closeness she longs for his reassurance because he matters to her. Yeah. So she's hurt because she didn't get that in the past and a memory surfaced. So she remembers how bad this has been hurting her. The antidote is him. And I think so many men underestimate the influence that they have in this process when truly the most influential figure in her healing process is him because the betrayal happened within the relationship. So it's easiest and most effectively healed within the relationship as he comes back and reconnects with her. So there's a couple of things that I think about just when I'm working with guys who go to shame, separating yourself and also remembering like you're the antidote. She doesn't want you to go to shame because then she loses you even more. Like you're the solution here because you're somebody that she cares about. So I hope those couple of things can start to shift this idea of like, well, it's, I'm this terrible person. Cause it's really, it's not, it's, it's so far from that. That's really good. So I, I guess I'm wondering if, you know, maybe a couple's hearing this or a guy's hearing this, getting an idea of the framework, what's required, but um, maybe he or his wife are going, yeah, but Sam, you know, we've tried everything. We've already done a bunch. It hasn't worked. So why bother with another one? You know, why why invest in another therapist or a coach or anything like that? Um, I'm just curious what you'd say to somebody like that. And I think um, on both sides of it, I think on the guy's side, I can understand. I remember what it was like to, 
try everything under the sun and you come up with an, another solution sure. and it sounds mm -hmm. great, but uh, you know, the best you can offer is maybe cautious optimism just because you know sure. so many things didn't work. And I imagine on the wife side, it, it, it would be hard to think about um, whether it's investing money or it's just time or whatever it might be to just think about like, oh, wow, are we really going to go through something else again when there's this history of addiction, right? And, and addiction is the, the nature of addiction is it repeats itself. How, how do you talk somebody through that? Or what would you say to somebody who maybe is, you know, kind of just going through some of those doubts because of their past experiences? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I totally understand it. I don't blame them for thinking like, ah, like this is another thing. Cause like you said, it's like, it's exciting for a moment. But then if you think about life, like, will it work for me? I've tried so many things and it hasn't worked. I think this is where I, I kind of, this is where I diverge from so many people in the field in that, cause I'll go to these like professional conferences where there's other therapists are there and people who are talking about like doing their way of, of re recovery work and what that looks like. And there are, there are so few people who talk about the attachment and the connection part of the, the healing process, hmm. especially earlier on in the process. And so, so often people say like, okay, you can't do couples work. I like, I think doing traditional couples work doesn't work in these types of situations because it's not about going on more dates. It's not about scheduling intimacy. It's not about like, uh, reflective listening or whatever other like standard things. Like there's so many other nuances that need to be addressed. Yeah. And so I, I can understand that if people feel kind of overwhelmed or skeptical or uncertain that something else could work, but the proof is in the process, like the fruits of this. Like if anybody is listening to this, you can try it right now on your own, right? I would encourage you to think about something that you could go and share your spell. Okay. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it like this. Connection can be created in a moment. You can have a moment of connection in a single conversation. Right. And so when people, when, when I start to work with couples, like I, I want to create a conversation in the first session. So they start to get a sense of like, this is actually possible because we're doing it right now. And I mm. feel differently right now. I feel safer. There's a shift that happens when people have an experience. Mm. And so what I would say to people who are unsure, I would say, you know, as you're listening to this, I would go home tonight and try it and have a conversation with your spouse and open up and share something that's underneath the surface. Um, maybe like something that I could offer you is if you think about your cycle, this is maybe one of the easier conversations to have. If you think about your cycle and what you do when you're like under threat, right? Is it fight or flight? If wife is mad, do you distance do you get defensive? Do you get mad back? Like, how do you respond? Most guys, it's like avoid. So I would go <clears throat> and you can use the podcast as a, a reference point. You say, I was listening to a podcast episode. They were talking about relationship healing. They helped me understand a little bit more about when we get stuck in our cycle, like on the surface, I defend, but really underneath the surface, when I see that you're hurting, I just feel sad and I feel mm -hmm. scared that the more you hurt, the more distant we're going to be. And ultimately you're not going to want to be with me anymore. Like if you were to go home and share that with your spouse and say, I know you see me defend and avoid a lot. When we talk about your pain, I was thinking about it. And as I started to reflect on what else is going on, I noticed that like, there's a lot of fear there for me because I don't want to make a mistake. And that's why I avoid, I get scared to say the wrong thing. And 
I just, you know, you're left by yourself. And I, I'm understanding that more and more now that you're alone in that when I shut down. And I just, I want to start to do this differently. If you go home and tell your wife that, like there's a 99% chance that there'll be an immediate shift in your conversation that she's going to feel seen and understood. And the conversation will go well, like 99% chance. Yeah. And by having that conversation that can start to give you some optimism of like, and this, maybe this is possible because I shared with her a little bit more vulnerably. She responded really well. Like there's something here, like you can feel that as you're doing it. So I, uh, that's what I would say to people. I love that. I love that. Um, we're, we're running out of time here, man. This has been super rich. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe uh, just to kind of land this whole thing, I'm, I'm thinking of three different groups of people that might be listening. And I'm wondering if you can maybe um, give a, a word of encouragement or wisdom to them and, and give them maybe something that they can chew on or something practical they can do going away from this podcast. So the first category of people I'm thinking of is actually people who aren't married, uh, people who are single, um, either they've been divorced and maybe they're, um, you know, they'd like to get in a relationship again one day or they're just actually single, they've never been married and they'd just like to get there sometime. Um, you know, what would you say to them and how would you encourage them to maybe take some of what we discussed and still apply it or at least be conscious of it in their recovery? Uh, the second group of people I'm thinking of are uh, husbands who are married but haven't embarked really on this recovery journey too intently yet. Um, and then I guess the last one would be for people who have reached that stage. They are healed from pornography, but they know their marriage still needs work. What's what's something practical or something that each of these groups can kind of latch onto going forward? And I, I can remind you of each group as you go through them if you want, but maybe we'll uh, yeah. start with the singles. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. No, I, I just jotted that down. No, because I think it's great. That's, that's such an important question because what? how do you apply this? So if you're not in a relationship, if you're divorced or if you're single and at some point want to get back into a relationship, it's literally the cool thing is that it's like literally the same process in terms of sharing, right? The whole I've heard somebody talk about, I think his name's Johan Hari. He's, an, he's a, a researcher and a, he's a writer. And he says the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Hmm. And so for people who are married, you kind of have a built-in system there, right? For people who are not married, then you can have a built-in system with a friend or a group, right? Getting, getting involved with people who are like-minded, people who care about you, whether it's friends or family, the same process applies. Like if you're feeling triggered, you could call somebody and say, Hey, I'm feeling triggered. That's a great step. It's important that you're reaching out. If you add one other layer on top of that and say, I'm feeling triggered because right, not enough. I feel scared. I feel alone. When you share those emotional type of feelings, that's where you're going to find that sense of connection when the other person's there and responds. So it doesn't yeah. have to be a spouse. It's built in if you're married, but if it's not, you still have a network of whether it's friends or family or groups or whatever. And you only need one person, right? Sometimes people say, yes. well, I don't know anybody. <laughs> like you only need one person. You can start yeah. with one. That one person can become somebody that you can turn to and say, like, I'm having a hard time and this is what's going on for me. That support is invaluable. And we're just, you know, we're talking about it today's episode uh, in the context of marriage, but the same skill set applies to. Uh, any other type of relationship. So I think that's one thing for the, the people who are divorced or not in a Fan, relationship. Fantastic. <clears throat> for the husbands who are not in a recovery, that was the second group, right? Yes, that's right. So for the husbands who are not in recovery, I think step number one is to decide to get into it. And I know that you provide such good resources with your programs and your group, and your, your group, you know, the group program, your book, 
Like there's so many things that people can have as a resource and help to be able to overcome the addiction. And sometimes I guess uh, maybe I'll make it a little subgroup out of that group. Sure. Sometimes people aren't in recovery because they don't think it's a big deal. Sometimes people aren't in recovery because they don't, they, 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 they feel afraid and their fears prevent them from getting into it. It's like fear of failing. I've tried so many other things. So then they just say like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like they'll try to minimize it because they feel bad, which mm -hmm. I understand. And if that's you, I think using these resources and starting to open up and reach out and say like, listen, I'd like for, I'm not in recovery right now. I'd like to get there, but like, I'm scared, right? And you go right back into the same framework that we're using. I'm scared that I'll fail again. I'm yeah. scared that this is going to mean that I'm doing forever. I'm scared that, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. Then just by getting that connection or the support from somebody else can help to encourage you to take the step again. But again, getting the right tools makes a huge, huge difference. So again, I know that you you offer such good resources for people. So I think that's a really good place to start. Okay. Um, for those who are just, it's not a big deal to them that like, yeah, those aren't really my clients, you know, like I work <laughs> with people who are wanting this. Yeah, and fair. I would say that's less like I, you don't ever see somebody who reaches out who like doesn't think it's a problem. Yeah. But I think for people who just aren't in it, I think it's just usually about fear and like failing yeah. again. Yeah. The third group for people who are in recovery, I think this is like using these frameworks in your relationship is the most efficient, effective, helpful way for people to develop a strong relationship with their spouse, to develop a sense of trust, develop that connection again, which again is a part of the reason why people are acting out in the first place. Right. There's a void there. There's a, a void. There's an emptiness. There's a longing. I know spiritually people are, are seeking this longing to connect with God. Relationally, in relationships, they wall themselves off and they're not open. They don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to be vulnerable because it's scary. It's hard. Like it's not easy, but when you do it, something changes inside of that person when they start to get a different response of empathy and acceptance. So you want to find somebody that, you know, that's safe, that will have those conversations. And so whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with a group, whether it's with a friend, like having those chances to open up and share will start to change how you feel about yourself It'll start to change the reason why you're turning to porn in the first place. And it just, it pulls you out of that cycle. It's one of the most helpful resources to pull people out of those addictive cycles. Yeah, man, that's so helpful. Sam, you are a wealth of knowledge and information. Uh, thanks for sharing today, man. I, um, I want to add your podcast into the mix of resources as well. Couples Healing, uh, fantastic, uh, very highly ranked podcast in its category and for good reason. Uh, you've done a really good job with it. So I hope people will check that out. Where else can Thank people you. find out more about you if they want to learn more? So, yeah, I think the podcast is the best place to go. Uh, you can find that on coupleshealing.org. And the podcast is Couples Healing from Pornography Addiction. So that's there's a couple other resources there for people who might be interested in getting some help in their relationship. I've got a free course that they can go through on that website. And, uh, but yeah, I think podcasts is, is probably the best place to find me. Amazing. Well, Hey man, thanks so much for the work you're doing. I know you're really changing a lot of people's lives and thanks for giving a little bit of time here for my audience today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the time. 
All right, well, there you have it, guys. That was my interview with Sam. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. He is um, he's amazing. Just uh, an incredible guy, very humble, very wise and experienced. And I hope you learned something from that. I know I sure did. I was even just thinking about some of the things I could apply to, you know, to rebuild trust and safety and connection in my own marriage. Uh, really got the wheels spinning quite a bit. And, um, and so I hope you'll take what he talked about and that you'll apply it. And if maybe you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, I think we actually need Sam. I think we need his guidance. We need his coaching. He is in high demand, but he did let me know that he has a couple spots available for uh, my audience specifically. And so if you and your partner maybe need a little bit more help and you think Sam's got the keys to take your marriage to the next level, reach out to him. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, to his website and that would be an awesome way. Uh, and then obviously he mentioned his podcast and I really do think you should go check it out. Uh, maybe if you're not at that point where you're like, okay, I maybe you don't know if you wanna work with Sam for sure, but you're like, I would love to see more and learn more. Couples Healing Podcast, great place for you um, just to, yeah, to get to know him, to learn his material and to see if he's a good match. And if you are looking for uh, maybe some more help just specifically on the recovery front from porn addiction and you don't even know where to start, Uh, I want to encourage you to get your copy of The Last Relapse. That is my blueprint for how uh, I recovered from a 15-year addiction. I've been clean six and a half years now and how I've helped hundreds of other guys experience the same kind of results. Uh, It literally just details our system. Uh, It's very practical. It comes with a free workbook. And the book itself is free as well. You can get a digital download at thelastrelapsebook.com. And I would love for you to get your hands on that. This um, offer will not always be available. So I'd encourage you to go get your hands on it now while it still is, thelastrelapsebook.com. Thanks for everything, guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, You can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.